Thank you, guys. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6 as we continue our series in the book of Romans that we're calling the Gospel According to Romans. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to, uh, I, I'm sure that, <clears throat> excuse me, none of you were watching any basketball yesterday. Um, you were? <laughs> But well, that was a pretty exciting game. Uh, yesterday, I heard right after the game that LeBron James' son committed to San Diego State. And then I realized it was April 1st. I really did hear that, and I, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Um, but I have seen more Aztec t-shirts and sweatshirts and polo shirts in the last, um, in the last week than I have uh, for a long time. Uh, all the fans are coming out of the woodwork, which is great, I love it. And um, uh, you know, we love to wear shirts that kind of proclaim what we're about or what we support or what we're a fan of. And um, I heard about a guy who was walking downtown in San Diego and he had a, a t-shirt on and on the front it read, I am a slave for Christ. And on the back it said, who is your master. And you know what? That's exactly the point of this passage. Uh, Really, that kind of, like the music that we've been singing this morning, sums up what this passage is, is teaching us. So the question that we can all ask is, whose slave are you? We're all slaves to something. Whose slave are you? In Romans chapter five, uh, Paul gives us this awesome truth from God that where, verse 20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. However, Paul doesn't want this to be misunderstood um, as saying that someone should just sin all they want because there's always more grace. And he does this by asking this rhetorical question At the beginning of chapter six, you can look at it in chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he answers his own question in verse two uh, with the response, by no means. We died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? So Paul seems to end his reasoning then in in the first half of, of chapter six in verse 14. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. And again, with this last phrase in in verse 14, Paul anticipates people reasoning wrongly and, and saying that if we're really under grace and free from the penalty of sin, what difference does it make if I just sin a little bit? I actually had someone say that to me. Recently, they, they said, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I know that God will forgive me because I'm his child and I'm under grace. Paul wants us to know that this is wrong thinking. That's not the way to think for any of us. And one of the dangers of thinking like that is that Satan can use that kind of faulty thinking to pull believers back under the authority of sin if not in every part of their life, maybe in some parts of their lives. And it's a danger for us to keep thinking wrongly like that because it reveals something about us, and that is that we're not really under grace and maybe never have been. 
F.F. Bruce said it like this, it's on your outline. He says, to make being under grace an excuse for sinning is a sign that one is not really under grace at all. And Paul meets this thinking head on with another rhetorical question in verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And he says the same answer, by no means. And then uh, to try and make this stick, Paul uses this powerful metaphor of slavery. So let's read our passage, Romans 6, beginning at verse 15. What then, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit? Did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So in the last half of chapter six, Paul is basically saying the same thing he did in the first half. So it's similar, but different, different example. Um, So the question in verse 15, again, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? The answer, by no means. Definitely not. Don't even think of it as what that means. And our response is, well, maybe why not? Why explain that more? And what Paul gives us here in the next verses are four solid reasons why we are not, as Christians, to continue to live in sin. And the first one, number one on your outline, is that sin is slavery. Sin is slavery. There are some, uh, there are some acts that the, the, the world calls freedom that in reality are not freedom at all. You know, it was, it was common in the first century for someone to choose to pay their debt back to someone who owed them, uh, that they owed money to, by becoming their slave. And so it was thought that about one-third of the city of Rome were slaves. And about one-half, they think as many as one-half of of the members of the church in Rome were either slaves or former slaves. Um, 
In fact, at one time, they thought about having all the slaves wear the same clothing, but then they realized there were so many of them that they would recognize that there were a lot of them and that they would, have, they would revolt against the people that were their masters or the government, and so they decided not to have them all wear the same clothing. In other words, the point that Paul's making is everyone in the church of Rome were very aware of the implications of what it means, what it meant to be a slave. Um, and so what Paul's, that's what Paul's saying in verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? And then the spiritual application, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so the reality of, of, what we, of, of what we offer ourselves to uh, can mean that we, we actually lose our freedom if we're offering ourselves to sin. And if we look at sin as the freedom to do whatever we want, that's not the biblical idea of, of freedom. That, that's not a, a biblical definition. That's exactly what the devil told Eve in the Garden of Eden when he lied to her and he said, don't be bound by God's word. Be free. Uh, Eat of the tree and become like God, knowing good and evil. You know, um, a number of years ago, there were some Christians in Hong Kong who were interviewing an 82-year-old woman who had uh, come out of China a short while before. She was a believer in Christ, uh, but her vocabulary was filled with terminology of, of communism. And uh, that she'd been living under and hearing about for decades. In fact, her two favorite words were freedom and liberation. And so these Christian interviewers asked her, uh, when you were back in China, were you free to gather together with other Christians to worship? And she said, oh, no. Uh, Since the liberation, no one is permitted to gather for Christian worship services. but surely you were able to get together in small groups and, and discuss the Christian faith and discuss Bibles, your Bible. And, and, and she said, no, we were not. Since our freedom, all meetings like that are forbidden. And they said, well, uh, were you free to read your Bible? And she said, well, since the liberation, no one is free to read their Bible. So she used these words, freedom and liberation, and the conversation, though, showed that that freedom is not in in the word, but in the reality. And she did not know the reality of freedom. She knew the word, but that that was a a completely different definition that she was working under. So just because you call something freedom or liberation doesn't mean that that's what it is. The truth is, and this is on your outline, is that sin is bondage. That's the truth. It enslaves us so that we're unable to escape the grasp of it later, even if we want to. If you give way, for example, to greed, the greediness will just grow. And you become a slave to greed. It's the same with with any sin. And Paul applies this in verse 16. All humanity serves either sin, which leads to death, he says, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. There's no middle ground. 
everyone who has ever lived, we've all been subject to sin. We've all been slaves to sin until we were rescued by Jesus to become his slave. And Jesus makes this clear in this exchange that he has with the Jewish leaders in John chapter eight. Uh, You've got one of the verses in front of you. We are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone. We're gonna talk about that in just a second. But how can you say we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So Jesus called his self-righteous countrymen slaves to sin. Sometimes it's, it's those who are most enslaved who say that they're, they're the most free. But that's not the reality. It, it, it's like some people are imprisoned by their work. And that's the one thing that, that they are uh, most loyal to is their job. Uh, or, or maybe you know people who are enslaved to things, to, to possessions, And they spend all their waking moments taking care of what they have or figuring out how they can get more. Or or maybe it's someone that you know that's a slave to their temper. Or someone that's a slave to their physical bodies or whatever it is. Whose slave are you? The second reason why we're not to keep on sinning is that sin leads to death. That's number two on your outline. Sin leads to death. Uh, Verse 16 talks about the sin which leads to death. Verse 21 talks about those things that result in death. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. God said to Adam and Eve, you must not eat in Genesis 2:17 from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the devil says the opposite of what God said. The devil says in chapter three, verses four and five, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So this is a genuine crisis for Eve. God says you will die. And the devil says you will not die. And so who's right? Who should she believe? And so what Eve does is she decides to go and examine the tree herself. And it says in chapter three, verse six, that she saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So what she's basically saying is how can it be wrong If it feels so right. You ever heard that one before? And so she took of the fruit, she ate it, and she gave some to Adam who also ate it. And what happened? They died. That's what happened. They died in their spirits instantly. The the fellowship that they'd enjoyed with God was broken And they showed that by hiding from God when he came in to seek them in the garden. Their personalities began to decay. They started pointing fingers at each other. It was your fault. No, it was your fault. And so their relationship with each other was broken. And then finally, their bodies also died. In Genesis chapter three, verse 19, it says, God says, dust you are and to dust you will return. That's what happened. When they, when they chose sin. What was part of that outcome that was good, that was positive, is in verse 15, that God had graciously promised 
a redeemer. That's on your outline. God graciously promised a redeemer who would save them from their sin. So here's the point, though, of all of this. Don't believe anyone who tells you that sin is harmless. Sin is not harmless. It's a, it should be a constant battle that we are in against sin. Why? Because we trust God's word more than we trust our own judgment. And his word tells us that being sinners, we are all dying. That it harms every relationship we have, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with ourselves. So our moral life is decaying, our body is dying, and unless God saves us, we will be separated from him forever in hell. That's what the Bible says. The only thing that we can do, the best thing that we can do is to turn from our sin, to repent of our sin, and to seek after Jesus, to follow him, to be his slave. Whose slave are you? And then the third reason that Christians aren't to continue in sin, even though we're not under the law, but under grace, is that as Christians, we've been delivered from sin's tyranny. And this is so amazing and so awesome. And I love this, that Paul breaks into praise. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God, he says, that though you used to be slaves of sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Hopefully that describes us that we are slaves of righteousness, we are slaves of Jesus. You know, in his time, uh, there was a theologian named B.B. Warfield um, who was recognized as one of the greatest theologians in America. And he has an interesting comment about verses 17 and 18. And he says this, he says, uh, they define what he called the, and this is on your outline, the most precious term in a Christian's vocabulary, the word redeemer. You know what the other word is that we are uniquely as Christians that we get to call God is father. He's our father, our father who sent his only son to redeem us. Wow, that's unbelievable. We, we are the, the recipients of that. He, he came to redeem us, to die for us, to die for you. The apostle Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter one, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish, without defect. This is the very purpose of Jesus' death, to redeem us so, so we could be called the sons and the daughters of God. How then can those who have been redeemed return to sinful living? To do so would be to deny Christ. To do so would be to, to turn from everything Jesus stands for as our as our redeemer. And no true Christian can do that and stay there. We will always be led to repentance, to turn away from that and turn back to him. 
So who is your master? And then the fourth reason why we're not to keep on sinning is that the same work that delivered Christians from sin slavery has also made us slaves to God. Jesus has purchased us for himself to serve him. We're called to serve him as his slaves. And this is a call to total commitment. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, talks about, um, he, he describes it like this and it talks about cheap grace. And he says this, he says, cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Cheap grace is grace without the cross. Cheap grace is grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Such grace, he says, is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man, Jesus, his life. And it's grace because it gives a man, it gives us the only true life. And like Jesus does, Paul calls us to obedience to Christ. And that's a profound freedom that we have. And and how do we know what to be obedient to? That implies that we are in his word, that we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That that we look to see if, if we're following what he tells us to do in his word. So Jesus is God's communication to us. The word logos is word, it's translated word, it's content, it's truth. And so Jesus is God's communication to us. And so as we learn about Jesus, we learn what he wants us to do, how he wants us to follow him and and be obedient to him. And so on the face of it, someone might look at that and ask, what's the advantage of going from being one slave to being a slave of someone else? Well, there are actually many reasons, but here are a couple. You've got them on your outline. For one thing, we go from being a slave to someone who wants to destroy us. That's Satan's goal. Satan is out to destroy us all. And to being a slave of someone who has our best interests at heart. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans of good. To prosper you. That's who we serve when we serve God. And the Bible also teaches that slavery to God actually brings freedom. That's on your outline. Slavery to God actually brings freedom. Real freedom. We said last week that freedom is not the way the world thinks of it. Just to do whatever you want the right, the privilege to do, do whatever you want. That's not freedom. Biblical freedom is the power, God giving us the power through his Holy Spirit that lives in our lives to do the right thing, to, to be obedient, to follow him. But we can't do the Christian life on our own. And that's why we, number one, have the Holy Spirit in our lives, and number two, are part of the body of Christ. We need each other. He is the one true God. And like we said 
uh, last week, Jesus was, or like I just said earlier, I mean, Jesus was having a conversation with these Jewish religious leaders. And some of the Jews had believed on him. But Jesus wanted them to stay with him. He wanted to continue to teach them. He wanted them to learn from him. And he says this in John, again, we're looking at the same passage. We looked at a little bit ago. If you hold to my teaching, that is, if you continue in my teaching, you are really my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the Jews resented this. And they say in John 8, 33, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been the slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? So what the Jews said right there was a lie. It was not true. It's not true that they have never been slaves of anyone. How quickly they forget uh, the captivity that they were in in Egypt. No fewer than seven times uh, under the, the period of the judges, they were under foreign rule. How quickly they forgot about that. And did they forget about the 70 years of captivity in Babylon? And, and they're saying, we have never been slaves of anyone? What are you talking about? And instead of reminding them of these obvious facts, Jesus responds to them on a deeper level. And he says this in John 8, again, he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's real freedom. And so you've got this on your outline. The freedom Jesus is talking about is the only real freedom there is, knowing the gospel and being committed to Jesus and serving him. That's why he saves us so that we can serve him. And then in verse 19, Paul is basically saying that when you live your life in God's freedom, it leads to living in God's holiness. To, to, to that, we're in that process of sanctification. We talked about justification in the first five chapters, and now in chapter six, we've talked about how Paul the apostle is really moving into sanctification. You can't really separate justification and sanctification but he's talking specifically about us becoming like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. And so instead of bondage, slavery to Jesus brings freedom. That's what he's saying. That's what we've sung about this morning. Um, you know, one of my heroes uh, when I was at Wheaton College was a man named Jim Elliott. Some of you probably know that name. He was a missionary who was killed by the Alka Indians. Um, his, his and Elizabeth Elliot, his wife's daughter Val, was uh, a year ahead of me at Wheaton. And um, I, I read Shadow of the Almighty and Through Gates of Splendor, and man, those books had a huge impact on my life. Um, Elizabeth Elliot tells about visiting Scotland and observing a Scottish collie, she said, in all his glory, tending sheep. And he was doing what he was bred for, what he was trained to do. And she writes this, this collie was beautiful to watch as he circled right and left, barking, crouching, racing along, herding a stray sheep here, nipping at a stubborn one there. His eyes always glued to the sheep, his ears listening for a tiny metal whistle 
from his master. And then she reflects. She said, I, I saw two creatures who were in the fullest sense in their glory. A man who had given his life to sheep, who loved them and loved his dog, and a dog whose trust in his owner was absolute, whose obedience was instant and unconditional, and whose very meat and drink was to do the will of his master. The dog did not understand the pattern, only obedience. And he was in glory. That is what obedience, slavery to God, Elizabeth Elliot writes, and righteousness bring to us. We know, of course, that God shares his glory with no one. Yet through obedience, there is a human glory which comes through being what he made us to be. Obedience to God liberates us to be all we can be. As our master, he completely knows us. He wrote the manual. He is our creator, the one whose spoken word called into being the unimaginable thing called space and the equally unimaginable thing called time. He set the stars in trajectories and put the sliding shutter on the lizard's eye. That is why when we obey him, we become all we are meant to be. Because that's who we're talking about following. God the Father, God the Creator. And so we either choose to obey the world that leads to death or we choose obedience to Christ and eternal righteousness. And you've got this on your outline. The key to a full life is profound slavery and obedience. Unbelievers are totally captivated by sin. And the end result of that sin is death, physical death and spiritual death, eternally separated from God. Sin always brings destruction into people's lives. We all know that by our lives. We all know that from the lives of the people we love around us. Verses 20 and 21 are basically saying that if you ignore God and don't bother at all with right thinking and right living, it's a dead end. And then in verse 22, Christians have a new status and a new destiny. And what we learn is that it's a delight to listen to God. And your life will almost feel put together here when we are obedient to him. And there's only more of that on the way. And then in verse 23, he gives us the two ways. Verse 23, show of hands, how many of you at one time or another have memorized Romans 6.23? Yeah, lots of hands. Boy, if, if you haven't memorized that verse, it's a great verse to memorize. It's pretty easy. Arwana kids do it. Uh, so if they do it, I know you can do it too. Uh, it's only 20 words. Uh, I think only like three of them have more than one syllable. Um, uh, it, it, 19 words in Greek, although I don't think you want to memorize it in Greek, but 20 words is all of it it is. It's short. 
It's easy to memorize. Uh, it's been used by millions of Sunday school kids and, to, as, uh, and teachers to explain the gospel. It, it's been used in gospel presentations over and over again, too many to, too numerous to count. Uh, it's often mentioned in gospel presentations right after the most famous verse, John 3:16. And after that verse, they'll oftentimes point us to Romans 6.23. And we have this great summary in verse 23. Sin pays the wages that we deserve. And the wages that we deserve are death. That's, it's death. But God gives us a gift which we do not deserve. And that's life. C.H. Spurgeon uh, said of Romans 6.23, he called it a Christian proverb, a golden sentence, a divine statement of truth worthy to be written across the sky. Wow. And he wrote this, as Jesus said of the woman who anointed him for his burial, wherever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also be told what this woman has done. So I may say this, Spurgeon writes, wherever the gospel is preached, there shall be this golden sentence of Romans 6.23 that the Apostle Paul has given us here and it will be repeated as proof of the clarity it gives us of our faith. Here you have both the essence of the gospel, he writes, for those who believe and a statement of that misery for those who do not believe the gospel. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And this has been presented by Paul over the last two chapters in a lot of different ways. In, in chapter five is between Adam and Christ. And then uh, between the law and grace. And now in chapter six, in today's verses, between slavery to sin and slavery to God. And this is what's summarized in our text, the way of death and the way of life. So we have in verse 23, death versus life, sin versus God, wages versus God's free gift. Paul is saying that we found ourselves in a dilemma of sin, that we're trapped and it will take God's intervention to get us out of what we've earned. And guess what? God intervenes. And wages are what, what, what we get when we work hard, but a gift is not earned, it's free. It's grace. It's almost like we could translate Romans 6.23 like this. The wages of sin is death, but instead of the gift of God, we could say the grace of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that final phrase is the most important, in Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and that's the final piece, this great truth of Romans, that salvation is in Jesus. Salvation is the gift of God. But how can we have that gift, sinners that we are? could have it in Jesus. And that raises a final question, which is a personal one, because faith is always personal in the end, right? 
It's always a question of what's in our hearts. And the question is this, are you in Jesus? Is Jesus your savior? Is he your Lord? If he's Lord, are there areas in your life where he is not Lord? Where you've said, Lord, I wanna keep this area back for me. I don't want you to touch this area. Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? And there are only two ways that you can answer that question, either yes or no. Either he is your Lord or he's not. Either he is your savior or he's not. And if he is your savior, let me ask you this follow-up question. Are you living for Jesus? And you might say, well, I, th- I think so. I'm not sure. What does that mean? What does that lo- mean exactly? I'll tell you, uh, what, what it means at its foundation is, are you living life for the glory of God? Because he says, whether you eat or whether you drink, you do all for the glory of God. So that's a characteristic of the cults. They, have, they compartmentalize in other religions. They compartmentalize everything. Your religion is here. Your education is here. Your hobbies are here. Your marriage is over here. But Christianity draws a circle around all of it and says it all should be done for the glory of God. So are there parts of your life that, where he's not Lord? Paul wrote this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so a life lived for God pursues God. With one's entire being, we, we, our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, we, we pursue God. And that means we dig into his word because we need to know what his word says to us so that we can obey it. That means we communicate with God through prayer. That's at the foundation of it. If you were at the men's breakfast yesterday, you heard Mike Price talk about the importance of prayer. And so this is a call for us to choose our master. So in verses 15 and 19, just to kind of sum it up, Paul boldly declares that we're no, we no longer have to serve sin, but if we do, we all know there are consequences. And then in verses 20 to 23, we can freely choose to follow and obey Jesus and share in his joy. We share, we have to share in his joy. But here's the problem, we hold on so tightly to our sin. So what are, the, what are the sins? What are the idols in your life that you're holding on to? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's career. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's adventure. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's recognition or achievement. Maybe it's an addiction. There are so many idols. And people refuse to listen to the good news because they think submission to Christ will take away their freedom when the opposite is true. Submission to Christ gives us the best freedom ever. It's like that Scottish collie doing what God created him to do. And they forget, and maybe they just don't know that they serve a God who wants to empower us you know, we, we fight these things that have a stronghold on our lives. But in essence, what we're talking about is Jesus having a stronghold on us. That's true freedom. Non-believers need to know that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And unbelievers need to know that sin is robbing them of everything of true value and will drag them into eternal death. 
And if God has spoken to you today as a believer in an area that you need to turn back over to him, turn over to him for the first time, I I plead with you to, to respond to God today. And if you happen to be here and you don't know for certain that if you died, you would go to heaven, he wants you to know that. And so just ask Jesus to respond in faith to him. Ask him to be your Lord. Ask him to be your savior. He will hear the cry of your heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word that we've looked at this morning. Thank you for uh, the direction you give us of how we can change, of, of what true freedom is. We ask, Father, that you would help us to, to take these words and apply them to our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit that lives in us. Thank you for the the truth that we have in in Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. Thank you that he is the bridge for us to get to you and to have a personal relationship with you. We love you so much, Father. We ask this through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. You know, there's another passage in Romans uh, that I wanted to use to close our time. Uh, I've been using one, but there's a, here's another one also from Romans 15. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir. Not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony uh, in a stunning anthem to God and Father of our Master Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.